believing in Jesus ruins it, you know. While we could once live in ignorance about what was the right way to live, we could pretty much do anything we wanted to do without any sense of guilt or remorse about the things that we did. We were seemingly happy in our pursuit of nothingness. It was the ignorant bliss of living an empty life. Living that life is like a child who chooses to play in the mud in the back alley because he's never experienced what it's like to build sand castles by the ocean. We lived in ignorance about the kind of life that we could have in God because we didn't know any better. Now, when you've taken that step, you've made that commitment to live in Jesus, all of a sudden you become enlightened. And now you know what's right and what's wrong. You know the way God wants you to live. So now if you choose to go back to doing the things that you did before, you're not ignorant anymore. Which means you really can't enjoy it. Because now you know it's the wrong thing to do. And it's not any fun really anymore because you can see just how empty and meaningless that life really is. The book of Proverbs says this, As a dog returns to its vomit, so is the fool who returns to his empty life. Is that pretty clear for everybody? The Apostle Peter puts it a little bit more gently. It says in 2 Peter chapter 2, If we have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing Jesus, and then we again become entangled in the world, now we are worse off in the end than we were in the beginning. Well, good morning, y'all. We are uh, continuing in our series entitled Living All Out, as we've been going through the New Testament book of Romans chapter 12, uh, kind of verse by verse. And in this passage, we believe the Apostle Paul was the author of Romans, and so in this passage, he's trying to inspire us to rise up and live differently. And today, it's understanding what it means to live passionately. I think that the Bible acknowledges that there is this tension that exists in us that I talked about a few minutes ago, where we try so hard to live in both worlds. We want so desperately to have a uh, meaningful relationship with Jesus, and yet deep down we really don't want to give up the stuff of this world either because it's comfortable for us. It's all we've known. And so when it comes down to it, we're not really experiencing the kind of satisfying life that we were promised as followers of Jesus. We're not really feeling the presence of God. We're not experiencing the abundant life that Jesus so boldly promised for all of those who would give up their lives and follow him. And so what does it take to have that kind of satisfying, fulfilling life where we can move past our feelings of 
emptiness and start living the kind of abundant life that we've been promised. I think that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is taking on in Romans chapter 12, verses 11 through 13, when he says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in your spirituality. Serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in hard times. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of other Christians who are also maybe experiencing hard times and seek to show hospitality. This few passages here are chocked full of advice, but I'm going to focus in for this morning's purposes just on three of the things that he said, three of the phrases in verse 11. And so when he starts out, he says, do not be slothful in zeal. I love that line. It could also be translated, do not be lazy in the way that you live your life. And I think that if there's anything for me, like I don't want to be slothful in the way that I live. I actually, when I think of slothful, I think of sloths. And I love those little guys. They're like really cute. I've had the opportunity to see one out in the open in Nicaragua a couple years ago. Really cool. Um, But I'm going to give you a, a little sloth fun fact. All right. So, did you know that algae actually grows on sloths because they move so slowly? It grows on them just like it grows on rocks or trees, like it's just this permanent fixture. But, I mean, look at that thing. That, but the upside is that the green on their fur helps them to blend in with their surroundings, which provides them cover. But boy, is that adorable, huh? Um, so, just to carry that forward, when we are lazy about the way that we live, the algae of this culture begins to grow on us. It really begins to coat us. That, and, and, and so, as we're living more and more in this world, we blend more and more with the culture because the norm is for us really to go through life mindlessly, with no zeal or passion, we just fall prey to the busyness of nothingness. And I think that's the real threat, right? I mean, I think we all want to be relevant in our lives. Like at the end of the day, we want to know that it, we live for something. And man, it's so easy for us to live checked out. And never really give much thought to what we want our life to be about. We're more reactive, reacting to the daily grind, whatever it throws our way, rather than being proactive and going out and and making our life what we want it to be. I, I think most of us are very sincere about our desire to live for God. I totally believe that. And I think that's why we're all here this morning. When we talk about wanting to change our lives and we want to live for God, like, I believe that's truly what we want. But whether we like it or not, the truth is there's probably a disconnect for most of us between who we want to be in God and who we really are. Because for most of us, there is no passion. 
There's no intentionality. There's no sense of purpose for the way that we're living out our lives. We are slothful in our zeal for God and slowly this culture creeps in and takes over and completely zaps any sense of direction or mission or meaning that we may want to achieve. And I think what happens is that we try this Jesus thing out for a while and we think, you know, this will be a great quick fix for whatever is wrong in my life at the time. Obviously, we all come to Jesus at certain defining moments in our lives. And so whatever it is, we feel like Jesus is the answer. But after a while and after the problems fade and we're just kind of living day in and day out, this whole Jesus thing begins to feel like a whole lot of work. And over time, we stop reading our Bible or pursuing God outside of church. And we now feel like we should just be able to sit idly by and wait for God to do something to us miraculously. Right? If God wants me in his life, then make him make me feel his presence. He should be making me feel his peace or his closeness or the connection that I need. And all the while, we become completely disengaged from our spiritual life, and we have nothing invested in it. Nada. We have done nothing to invest in our faith, in our spiritual growth, in our relationship with God. And when we have nothing invested in something, the truth is, we stop caring. We don't really give a rip about it anymore. It doesn't have meaning for me, and what happens when we become slothful in zeal is that we begin to live our days out, day in and day out, with no sense of passion or purpose. And so it's obvious to me that Paul is saying that you can't experience a meaningful relationship with God unless you are fully invested in it. If you are not committed to the work, it ain't going to happen. So then he contrasts being slothful in our zeal with saying what we should do to live all out, which is to be fervent in our spirituality. And if you go back to the Greek text, that word fervent, I love that word because it's not just meaning Uh, a fervency to show great zeal, but it's also becoming so hot for something to the point of boiling over. So Paul is saying that in order to have the kind of abundant life that the Bible promises us, we have to live our lives with such a passion that we have this heat for our spirituality. We're hot for our spirituality, and it's so strong that it just boils over and spills out in every aspect of our lives. There's only one other place in the Bible that I can think of that uses this root word and also has the same idea that he's talking about here, and that's in the book of Revelation when Jesus is speaking to the church of Laodicea to set them straight about a few things. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, Jesus says to the church of Laodicea, I know your deeds. I know that you're neither cold nor hot. Man, I wish you were one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Those are some pretty harsh words from Jesus. 
He's basically saying, okay, you don't want to live for me. I get that. At least you've taken a stand and I know where you stand. And if your desire is to live for me and you're living this kind of fervent lifestyle about your spirituality, then you're red hot. And you can't hide it. It just boils over and spills out of your life, which is what I expect from you. But this wishy-washy faith, this lukewarm thing in the middle, that's ridiculous. Jesus said, I don't know who you are or what you stand for, and because of that, I'm about just to spit that lukewarm nonsense out of my mouth. At the core of every ambition, every drive that we have, you become so affected by it that it radically impacts you. You begin to pursue that something with such a passion that it consumes every single part of your life. And so if you don't pursue your faith with a passion, with fervor, then it will fall flat. And your faith will fail you in those dark nights of the soul when the hard times hit. When Jesus speaks about what it looks like to be passionate, he gives this really quick two-sentence metaphor. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he took and hid it again. And then in his joy, he sold all that he had, and he bought that field. So I'll put this in my own words. It's like this guy who is out working in somebody else's field, and he is digging in the dirt, and as he's digging, he hits something hard. He brushes some of the dirt away so he can see what it is, and he can tell that it's the outline of a box. And so he bends down and he, and he digs it up. But when he opens this box up, to his amazement, he sees that it's full of gold and jewelry way beyond his comprehension. He didn't know much, but he knew one thing. He had to have it. And so he runs home to his wife and says, Baby, we're putting the house on the market have a garage sale on Saturday, sell everything that we own. We're going to buy that field that I've been working in. She said, honey, that field ain't worth a whole lot. Why do you want that raggedy old piece of land? He said, trust me, you'll see soon enough. If I ever said trust me to my wife, she'd laugh me out of the room. Well, friends and family who who heard he was selling everything to buy this field, thought he'd gone crazy. And they made fun of him. But it didn't matter, because he had to have it. It's all he could think about. And when he finally sold everything that he had, he ran straight to the owner, offered him a ridiculous amount of money for that field, and he bought it on the spot. And when he bought that land, What do you suppose is the first thing he did? He ran over, he dug up that box, and he opened it up. And everyone was amazed 
and no one thought him a fool again. This story has this idea that we possess things in our life. And we take those possessions that we have because we've found something better and we trade up for something that has a greater value. I mean, just think about it. If your house and your car and all the stuff that you have is worth 500 grand and this treasure that you found is a million bucks and you get it, it's a good trade, right? But what if you can't quantify the value of what it is that you're trading everything for? I mean, what kind of value do you put on the kingdom of heaven? What's that worth? Is that still worth giving up everything for when it has no monetary value, when you can't touch it? Jesus is clearly saying to me in this passage that following God is not something that we do out of a sense of obligation or guilt. It's something that we desire so much that we are willing to give everything, everything to have it. What can you honestly say that you have that kind of passion for? Something that's so great. It has so much value to you that you are willing to sacrifice everything that you know and love in order to have it. When you finally understand what that is, it's all you can think about and nothing can stop you from going out and getting it. And if it's following Jesus, here's where people start looking at you a little funny. Because you are truly beginning to live counter to this culture and they think that what you're chasing is a foolish pipe dream. It is nothing more than a fantasy, this Christianity thing. The word passion basically means to be so affected by something that it changes you at your very core. It changes the way that you live. It transforms your life. In his book, Care of the Soul, Thomas More said, passion is the essential energy of the soul. It's what drives us. It's what fuels us. What is it that you believe in that you have such a strong passion for? What is the one thing that drives you in everything that you do? Affects every decision, every turn that you make. The last phrase that he says in verse 11 is serve the Lord wholeheartedly. When you think about your spirituality, do you think of it in terms of that you're fervent in your faith to the point of boiling over about it? Or is your spirituality getting a little lukewarmish? Where do you want to be in your relationship with God? Have you thought about that? And have you thought about what is it that you're prepared to do in order to get it? 
What changes do I have to make? What moves do I have to make? What kind of commitments? Can I honestly say that I'm serving God wholeheartedly and living all out for God? If not, then I have to make an honest assessment of my life, of where it is and where I want to be. Or am I going to continue to live in this lukewarm muck and mire of nothingness? The problem is that we will never, ever find true, sustainable joy in our life until we take on a faith in God with a passion. A faith that moves us from a Sunday morning experience to a faith that is absolutely life-changing. I always suggest that if we're at a place where we want to take a next step in our life, if we feel like we're stalled out, or that we're lukewarm, or that we're stagnant in our, in our faith, that we take steps to disrupt our spirituality. That we do things that take us completely out of our comfort zone because it becomes a game changer. And so, for example, I think way outside of most people's comfort zone is joining a small group. And it's intimidating to walk into a group of people where you believe that they're all more spiritual and know more about the Bible than you are. But the truth is, they don't. The truth is, in our small groups, everybody is the same. Everybody's got the same issues. We share the same struggles, the same temptation. And the whole point of a small group is that we can learn and, and grow and walk together to make it through this journey of life together. Serving is another opportunity, and you can do anything from serving the homeless to um, working on the things that we do for Huff Elementary, or serving a cup of coffee in the cafe, or teaching in the kids' ministry. doesn't matter. Taking those steps. You know, Lance talked last week about starting to read in the Bible, and he suggested the book of Mark, which is a great, way, great place to start. Those are the kinds of things that are not in our life, that when we introduce them into our life, it sets us on a different trajectory and helps us to create a passion and a direction for our lives that we didn't always have. It's just shaking the algae off of our backs and forcing us to try on something new to get to a different place. I think the whole thing comes down to developing a passion for God, where our faith becomes more than just a Sunday morning thing, more than just a quick prayer before dinner thing. It's building a faith with our own two hands that is sustainable, a faith that is strong enough to carry us through when times get tough. Look, I I don't have any secrets of how to keep our passion for God in your life. I struggle with it myself. But I do know this. Every time that Jesus teaches about this, he makes it very clear that he wants to be the one thing in your life that drives everything else you do. And when that happens, your life will become a life of passion that goes way beyond anything you could ever imagine. And the people around you, they may think that you're 
crazy, but you know what's real. You know what kind of treasure is buried out in that field. You know what you're invested in, that it's something that goes way beyond the grave. Through my 52 years of living, I have learned a thing or two about traveling down the narrow dirt path that leads to Jesus. Most importantly, I've learned that it's not an easy road, but it's quite easy to lose your way. But I've also learned that no matter how hard the Christian life is, no matter how difficult, no matter how challenging, if we can stay the course, if we can follow Jesus to the very end, I promise you that you will be leading a life that is full of purpose and meaning and passion. And it's then we will find the abundant life that we've been looking for all along. And to me, that's worth everything. I'd give up everything for that.